0: Hi, I'm Meredith, and I'm Kristen, and we want to welcome you to the Writer's Story.
1: Uh, and it is February, and um, we are—you're just back from a trip. I'm about to leave on a trip. Um, everything seems to be a little chaotic, but I think I think we can get it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to talk about writing, and it's it's great to um, have a chance to. Sort of reflect now that the new year, the newness of the new year, has worn off, and hopefully you're speeding ahead with your projects.
0: Yeah, and yep, settling into the new year. I um, am grateful for deadlines and input from external sources. In this case, I did just hear back from um, my editor for a nonfiction project about the Bible that um, it sounds like I'm, we're ready to go forward with uh, another round of edits, which is wonderful, and so there's that concrete kind of oomph and kick in the butt to move on and mm-hmm. get going, mm-hmm. and I'm excited about that. And I also heard from a freelance editor that I had hired to help look through and comment on a novel that I'd been coming back to and leaving behind and coming back to for a long time. And it sounds like she will have her remarks, her edit suggestions to me before too long. So both of those things are giving me a little extra impetus to um, buckle down and focus. Um,
1: That's great. I mean, I think um, as much as I try to tell people that they should really write for themselves because I think in the end, if you worry too much about external opinions or um, external markers, you can sort of get paralyzed and,
0: and not Absolutely. finish projects.
1: But at the same time it is important to remember that we are writing rather than just thinking thoughts for an audience. And so to have an audience for your writing, even if it's a early stage, I think is sometimes a nice reminder that, you know, is what I'm attempting to do getting across. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say like, oh it isn't I'm going to go throw myself off a bridge, but it isn't, so what do I need to do to get what I was trying to say yeah. across to someone? And I think that's just useful to have at least, you know. A tr- and usually it's a trusted reader. Um, right now I'm working with um, a writing group that I've been in for, for years, and I've, I have, last year I sort of took a partial year off, <laughs> and I think the year before I took a, a full year off from them But this year, it seemed to hit at a good time. I was almost done with the first draft, and I was kind of ready for some feedback, and so I got my first 15 pages back and revised those from comments, and I turned in my second 15 pages to them, and I'm actually not going to be there for the meeting. You
0: have exciting travel (laughs) plans. I have exciting travel
1: plans, but now I'm on the next 15 pages, and there's a lot of things I'm... I'm finding that I didn't do <laughs> sure. that I should have done and ideas that I tried that didn't work but, and that I abandoned and forgot to take them out because I wasn't, I wasn't really revising in that way. But it's a good process to be in. But yeah, I am leaving um, in a couple days uh, for Egypt. So <laughs> exciting. It's and, just not um, a small trip. No, and I'm not bringing my computer.
0: Wow. So...
1: I'm not going to be revising while I'm gone.
0: I think that's great. And how long will you be gone?
1: Um, It's a 16-day trip, but of course getting there (laughs) and back (laughs) is no small feat. Yep. So, yeah, it's going to be several weeks, and um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to be really, I'm going to see how much I want to assign to myself, but I think it's really going to be about reading and reflecting and journaling and sort of perspective shift.
0: I think it's brilliant. Um, And that is really valuable um, time and attention, I think, to be feeding yourself with good writing and giving yourself time to step back from your own and just take a breather and live in the space of the world. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think that sometimes um, I get so focused on my own deadlines that I've, you know, I've revised proofs on a beach vacation. Yes, <laughs> I've, um, you know, made myself do my pages on Christmas, you know, or whatever. And I think too often you forget that you also need to go out and uh, experience life in order to be a great writer. And I Absolutely. think that um, every trip I've taken, I feel like has sort of inspired me to start a n- new project. In some way. And yeah. I think that it's fun to go out and look for inspiration and also sort of to refresh a tired brain.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, you'll be in a place rich with inspiration, I suspect. But, yeah. yeah, we're talking about, I think, accountability, too, and the value of having some some, whatever it is, usually external. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't have to be. Uh, but building into your writing practice some system of accountability can be helpful, but um, that's the, what we were talking about earlier.
1: Right. Well, I think if you are not um, delivering for a publishing contract and a deadline, um, it can be easy to drift.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I'm not saying that drifting isn't necessarily part of the creative process, and you should be allowed to have that space and um, think about your, your your project as long as you need to think about it. But at the same time, um, I know that I can sort of hop from project to project and get distracted and not finish things if I'm not really careful. And so I think, you're right, it's accountability. It's saying, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to finish it by this deadline.
0: Yeah, whether it's for a writing group or another external reader, But then we're also talking about the great value of stepping out of that sort of linear process of writing and delivering to let yourself really soak up the world around you and Mm -hmm. be open to the kinds of things that will enrich your writing. Trust that that it does, just being alive in the world. Yeah, I saw um, the film Parasite yesterday,
1: Yeah, and um, it was very good, highly recommended it. Um, highly but I highly recommend um, it. But I, there was a quote that was circulating on Twitter, and I'm going to get it wrong, so forgive me to <laughs> to the writer of it. Um, but the director and and writer of the of the movie said um, something. And then I, I write a lot. I drink coffee, and I try not to meet too many people. <laughs> that was his 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 writing secret or success. And a lot of people were like, Oh, oh. <laughs> like that's and um, but I think at the same time as I sympathize with him, at the same time I thought, oh, writing many, I mean, meeting many people, that's also inspiring for me. Now sometimes maybe that's not inspiring for everybody, but I think that's it can be a distraction, just like we're saying. You, I could, you know vanish on um, multiple vacations and never get any writing done by the end of the year. Oh, poor me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and what's wrong with that again? So I think it's really about that balance, and I yes. hate to use the word balance because, of course, none of us ever have balance in our life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but we can strive for Please it, can that strive golden for it. ring out there yes, exactly. in the ether.
1: So having the times to, uh, you know, to take the hike that isn't about whatever, and having a chance to process um, or just think about anything, clear your mind, um, with making sure that you maybe have some sort of writing practice every day where you are accountable only to yourself. Like, maybe you're blogging, maybe you're writing songs, maybe you're writing poetry, but you're, you're saying, I'm a writer and my, this is my practice, whatever that is. And then, yeah. and then being um, accountable to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So... And then, but I think the external, the external is exciting. Um, you know, I am I, one of my New Year's resolutions, which we talked about, is to um, push myself out externally a little more this year um, to finish this project and to try some, some new things with it and, you know, go to conferences again. I think for a long time I thought that's just a bridge too far (laughs) like finishing a book is like sort of all I can do here and don't ask to to do that and and I think I'm I'm getting into that place where I'm like okay I think think everything's sort of stable at my house I can I can can do this um and I think I want to do it and that's I think the more important thing and I don't get like a feeling of like oh going to be a mistake or this is, you know, this is a bad idea, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, I think an important thing is trusting your gut, which can also tell you whether you're drifting or whether you're needing time away in order mm-hmm. better to work on the things you have before you. Yeah, so it's person-specific, site-specific, God specific but, but I think that we have a kind of internal needle for some of it, whether our activities and choices are beneficial to the work that we're doing or sabotaging it.
1: (laughs) Right. I I remember, um, I think, no, I, I I was published when my child was quite young, and I remember a writer, and she was older than I was, and she was just one of those people who kind of always has a sour expression on her face, which is nothing against who she was. She just had had a lot of rough life experiences, but she'd become published quite late, and she would complain sometimes, you know. Oh, this thing, you know, this person isn't paying enough attention to my work or whatever. She would have all these these things. But I remember her saying something to me. She said, "Do you have you have a child?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Stop at one." Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> and I wow. thought, and I thought, oh, huh, it's interesting. You know, I don't think I want to live my life that way. I don't want to 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 make choices of saying, "Don't have a pet." That will get in the way of your. Writing career, you know, and then whatever happens with your writing career, if you wanted a pet, then you're missing that that yeah. uh, relationship. So I think it's super important not to say to yourself, I'm going to give up all this joy
0: yes. to write
1: because then I think... Probably your writing will end up missing joy in it because your life is not joyful.
0: <laughs> that's a really good point.
1: Thank you. I think that, that's it for me. That was uh,
0: <laughs> well. I am one hoping. excellent point that I had.
1: But hopefully, hopefully <laughs> our writer guest, our writer guest, will be profound and give us lots of other wonderful insights.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, we are looking forward to um, giving Katrin Schumann a call. She has a new novel coming out, This Terrible Beauty, and we're excited to talk with her about craft and, um, and the writer's journey. We are so excited to have Katrin Schumann on the line. Um, we, I got a chance to meet Katrin in January when I went to Key West. She is actually the program coordinator for the Key West Literary Seminar, and um it was there that we became acquainted and oh my goodness, I've just been so impressed with her writing. So thanks for being here, Katrin.
2: Well thank you for inviting me.
0: And um we both got to have a sneak peek of
1: your new book that comes out March first, This Terrible Beauty. Um and uh it was really exciting to to have a chance to to read it. And we and you told us before we started recording that we're your first sort of book tour interview yes, yes. <laughs> on the line and so we're super excited.
0: Catherine is right. also the author of The Forgotten Hours and um, nonfiction as well so she also has written across genres and you were telling us when this the this terrible beauty is coming out and the circumstances of that
2: well, you know, I've been living in Key West now for the past year doing this working at um, the Key West Literary Seminar. So last year when my book came out, I did all my launch activities in uh, the, on the East Coast and on in California, where I had you know friends and connections and things to do. And then this year I, I figured, you know I'm new to the neighborhood, but I am part of the literary seminar. so why don't I do a little launch in Key West just Ooh. for fun? um so we'll see what happens you know it might be me with five people um but it might be me with 50 i don't really know if, um, it's going to be here at shakti yoga which is my um beautiful uh, local yoga studio um and books and books will be supplying um the books so
0: i think Wonderful. it'll be a
2: nice soft landing um to, to get started
0: good well i am confident that they will kick it off with a bang <laughs> it's a great, a great community, and you're such an important part of it. That is so cool. You also had mentioned that you had done some writing of this in Boston. Can you tell us a little more about what that um, was like for you?
2: Yes, yeah, so this book... Um... Actually, I've been working on this book for quite a long time, over a number of years. I've been sort of dipping in and out of it, and then uh, I did a pretty major rewrite of it uh, a couple of years ago. Um, But so my early work on the book was, uh, I was still living in Boston, and I used to trek into the city to uh, uh, the writer's room and sit in my cubicle and uh, do my research and, and, and just put my nose to the grindstone and and work really hard at it. it. There was a huge amount of research that went into this book, but I found what really benefited me was taking time to write it so that I could try to make the research, try to integrate it, into the book in a way that it didn't feel like I was just being, you know, a nerd who loves history and wanted to cram it full of all these little pieces, you know, esoteric bits of information. Um, but make sure that the research kind of flowed with the story of the book too. And,
0: and I it think does. Bit it does. Yeah.
2: From to having worked on it over time.
0: Yeah. I was really struck by how, um, how easily I fell as a reader into that world. You created it with, um, well, I I think all that research (laughs) reflects um, a familiarity that then enables a reader and the way that you integrated it enables a reader to really fall into the story immediately. And um, I didn't know that there were like islands um, yes.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> in Germany, so maybe could you tell folks a little bit more about the book?
2: Yes. So the book is so essentially a, a love story that is set in the fifties and sixties uh, in East Germany. And I became very interested uh, because of my own family history. I was born in Germany, and my parents are German. Um, and my father, as a young boy in Berlin. Uh, uh, before the war, used to go up to the island of Lugan, which is on the Baltic. Um, it's sort of like a maybe a Nantucket or a Martha's Vineyard. I mean, in the old days, it was like that. Um, and then he, you know, suffered through the war. And after the war, the Russians took over uh, the, the, the parts of Germany that they had occupied when they were, um, you know, Fighting the battles with the Allies at the end of the war, and they uh, turned it into a communist country, and it became um, the German Democratic Republic, which was a, a, a you know a communist um, country, oh. a sort of satellite of Russia. Anyway, so I had gone with my father to this island, and it's very um, rugged. It's windswept. It's uh, I'm very influenced by setting and geography, and I really can't begin to write. Fiction until I feel very grounded in space and Mm. time and space in particular. And I just found this island to be magical and sort of um, tough like a you know the, these these islands that are um, up in the north there they they've got kind of brutal winters and big chalk cliffs and oh, you know lots awesome. of wind and beautiful rugged <laughs> meadows and so on and I just was very inspired by the setting yeah. and then thinking about the fact that the people who had lived there had been through, had suffered through fascism, only then to embrace communism and discover over time that they've really been sold, you know, sold an ideology that that wasn't going to work for them and that was going to inhibit their freedom. And I feel like that story hasn't really been... Told all that much, you know. We haven't spent a lot of time, understandably, thinking about what happened to the Germans themselves after the war, um, and I became just fascinated by that.
0: Yeah, especially in East Germany. I yeah, yeah I um, was really struck by by that. I well, both the setting and it actually, I think the the experiences of the people were very much. In concert with the ruggedness of the setting and uh, both the beauty, it sounded like just an extraordinarily beautiful place naturally, but also a hard place. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I um, spent some time in Berlin a couple years ago and um, it was fascinating to see how they had uh, really uh, sort of the whole, the history was, was present everywhere They've been very careful with that. So, you know, you could see where the wall was. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere you were, even though the wall was gone, there was a line that would show you where the wall had been. Yeah, And uh, the museums were interesting. So it was really interesting to hear that in that context because, um, you know, sort of what you were talking about in the 60s was sort of, you know, with the secret police and the the being followed and...
0: Yes. And Um, that whole
1: thing and that menace. Yeah. You know...
0: And um, Katrin does an amazing job of communicating that toward the end of the book and right. remembering some moments that are really kind of nail biting. Right.
1: But frightening. You're not sure like what they're gonna do to her, or what they're gonna do to the other characters, you know, that they you are not really you're not sure this is gonna end well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, I was so unless turning the pages. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the things I we... Oh, go ahead, Katrin.
2: I was just going to say, it's really crazy when you think about that in fairly recent history that the Germans uh, developed this system of spying on one another and Mm. telling on one another. And I mean, as as many of you know, you've heard these stories about all the dossiers that the secret police kept, you know, they they were literally spying on everybody's life. Lives and uh, within the same family, you would have people who were spying on each other.
0: Yeah, to, um, that piece too—that it wasn't just professional, like law people. It wasn't yeah. just policemen. It was these neighbors, and yeah, within a family. That's yeah, just and chilling. And yeah,
1: and not to digress, but I heard a wonderful interview with someone who had been um, who had been under uh, watch the whole time in, in Eastern. And and with Germany, and she had um, afterwards got access to her files, and she said she found out that she had been at a party, for instance, with friends, and sort of like eight out of twelve people in the room had been spies. Oh my gosh! And so had been recording what's going on. And she said it was actually the the she her light comment was it was better than a diary because she Mm. could actually go back
0: and be like October (laughs) third. Someone else is keeping my diary. Someone was for me. keeping track of everything <laughs> oh, she was doing. God. I, I that, that really struck me. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Catherine, Do you have some personal experience with this? Like, did you did you get to East Germany before the wall came down?
2: So no, I hadn't been in East Germany itself um, during the the um, when it was still East Germany, but I went. Right after the wall came down, I went with my father up to Rugen, and we met with um, some family members, and they had a family reunion there, and it had literally just been a matter of months, so wow. things were really changed, and it was like going back into a time warp. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, it was very, um, they had no, they, they had a very weak economy and you know things were just sort of old and and worn out and um and they were just emerging from this this very repressive system um and it was fascinating and Mm -hmm. i snuck into a a a derelict fisherman's cottage that had belonged to my father's great aunt and that's really where the story began for me thinking about the the people who've been trying to Live regular lives and start their families in in this little home, this sort of magical little cottage, um, and how badly astray all uh, you know their hopes had had, had gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I and I I had been to Berlin uh, many times because that's where my father's from. And so I have family there and I had seen the wall. Um, and I remember as a, as a little kid, not even really understanding about East and West Germany, not being very confused about Berlin. And because my aunt lived in Berlin and Berlin itself was like an island in the middle of East Germany. So you couldn't get, if you were a West Berliner, you couldn't get in and out of Berlin. You were literally kind of surrounded by this wall it was just
0: wow I really appreciate that yeah wow yeah so I so I didn't mean to cut you off I'm like so I'm trying to picture this so to get in and out of um Berlin did you pass through basically East Germany no matter which direction you went at least a bit of it
2: so so there was one highway that led from um the West Germany through east germany that led you to west berlin so half half of berlin was just part of east germany but half of berlin was this little like island that that the allies that the americans refused to give up at the end of the war just wouldn't allow the russians berlin just happened to fall in russian zone but the americans wouldn't allow the russians to take the whole of berlin that's when they had the um the um Oh, now I'm forgetting what the name of it is, but the, the uh, yeah, food dropped uh, off oh, in yeah. um, Berlin to help the starving um, West Berliners survive when the Russians were trying to cut them off
1: um, wow. in order
2: to force them to become part of East Germany. So it was like this little island and you couldn't It became a very interesting city, actually, because it was so heavily subsidized by the West German government, and so a lot of artists would live in West Berlin and would get subsidies from from the government.
1: Interesting. And they've kept that up, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's got this kind of interesting vibe, like alternative vibe, and it's a very vibrant um, arts community, uh, you know, in all the different uh, disciplines of, of... of art.
1: Well the two things that really stayed with me. So I, I had ex pat friends living there, uh, a writer that I knew and um she and, and I learned from her that if that anyone went free to college. Mm-hmm. Like you don't even have to be German. Oh really? Yeah, and that so that there was this whole and then and then I had another friend who went to live in Berlin for a little while because she um she's someone I used to swim with at the pool and she said that they offered money for you to come, and maybe, yeah. maybe it was. And I just was struck by those two things that they were really trying to get people there. Uh, my father is half German. Oh yeah, where's he from? Uh, well, I think from Bonn. Um, I think that's where his family was. But he, he, his mother lived in England, and he was born in England. But his cousins the thing that always struck me—his cousins were visiting before World War II. They lived outside of London, and they had to go home. Oh, because yeah. they were the enemy. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, yeah. I, I often thought growing up, you know, what did it mean to be German? Um, and I grew up uh, in, we, we left Germany when I was two, and then we lived in New York um, until I was 11. But then I grew up in, in England. And it was a fairly tough, uh, you know, the English can be kind of tough. And so we got a fair amount of ribbing, my brother and I, for um, for being Germans, and I, and I was often sort of wrestling with this idea of how much, as Germans of a of a different generation, how much do we need to atone for sort of the sins of our forebears? You know, because the, it's just horrendous what, what the Germans have the, the havoc mm-hmm. the, the Germans have wreaked, you know, twice um, throughout uh, Europe and, and the world, really. Um, and so I think this book kind of grew a little bit out of that—that that, uh,
1: mm.
2: you know idea of mine that that how much uh, you know how much guilt do we feel and how do we redeem ourselves and, and what does it mean to be um, trapped in a system over which you really don't have much control and and actually I think there are some pretty relevant parallels to yes. what we're going through um, you know in our current political situation, um, in that these things kind of creep up on you, you know, yes. before you know it, you don't have as many rights as you had, yes. you know, not that long ago. And, um, and people get taken by surprise, um, by these, these, um, all encompassing regimes that end up taking away your freedom.
0: Yeah. I think, um, again, you do such a beautiful job of that. It feels, um, uh, by by leading a reader through the lives of your characters it's easy to see how that can happen because these are not cardboard cutout characters who are villains and heroes they are complex people trying to live good lives and and the yeah and they can go down some really dangerous roads
1: Right, and it's easy to look at a historic moment and think of everything as being very, very political, but quite frankly, most people are making dinner yeah. for their families and <laughs> yeah. you know, yes. falling in love. exactly, and, you know, <laughs> Legitimately
0: and illegitimately. Yes, yes. yes.
1: And um, and so, you know, you can look back and say, oh, everything, this, this whole thing colors everything. Yeah. And yeah. yes, it's yes and no.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think
1: it, that's really, uh, yeah, you did a great job with that.
0: And questions of uh, what we were talking about, a different kind of accountability, but um, uh, a corporate body, you know, a a nation, uh, communities, responsibility for, you know, acts in later sight deemed inappropriate or unjust or cruel is um, that's a huge question, of course, in our country as well, from slavery to, you know, the... Crimes perpetrated against Native Americans—we have some reckoning to do, and how? How do you do that? How far Mm -hmm. down Mm -hmm. the line does it come? So um, we—I launch right into the book. We we always love to ask our guests a little bit about how you come to writing.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I um, I'm one of these people who just I've always wanted to be a writer, Um, and I used to write little book you know books when I was a little girl that I would bind in you know cardboard, and um, and so I you know I could say I have my first hardcover when I came out when I was six, Um, and and, then then I studied journalism because it seemed to me that you know I wanted to have a a career and actually earn a little money, and I figured that maybe uh, writing. Uh, for a paper or working in the, at, I worked for a while for NPR, um, that that might be a way to have a career as a writer. But I just over time realized that um, that my strengths lay in two different areas. One is the, the collaborative writing. So I really enjoy working with other people. Um, and that's how I, I Launched into this career of writing nonfiction books and ghostwriting and coaching writers and helping them develop their nonfiction books. Yeah. So that was that was a way that I could really play to to my interests and my own strengths and and have an actual um, career. And then all along, I was I was just so fascinated by the the world of novels and uh, just dying to 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 be able to pull it off to create this whole. Uh, you know, unique world just through words. And so mm. uh, you know, I've been really working at it for a while and um, uh, am pleased, pleased to see it all come to fruition now.
0: That is great. Yeah, I, um, I think, again, stories like yours are a great example of the power of fiction to move mm-hmm. and act in the world Um, besides it's just a great read I mean it's just fun Mm -hmm. and it it's it is kind of an escapist book for me in a way because it I jumped right in and I was in another world and I was fascinated by these characters I wanted to know what happens to them and um so there's that but at the same time at the very same time and very powerfully are these um, forces at work on how we look at our own world at the very same time mm-hmm. and yeah so I I sympathize with your love of that world of and I know Meredith does too of novels <laughs> fiction and what they can do. I think
2: that it's a way to sort of subversively open people's eyes mm-hmm. you know um, nonfiction is so much more straightforward you know you're you're you're, you're telling people you're you're sharing information with people in this kind of direct way. In fiction, it's kind of like you, whatever messages or themes or ideas that you have are kind of hidden and wrapped up in the story. And if you're really lucky, your readers identify them. Um, and that's actually what, what's the most exciting for me is when I read reviews and people respond to the book and I and I think to myself, oh my God, that's what I was thinking or I really want somebody to know that or wow you know I couldn't have said it better myself in terms of what people find in the book you know what they what is hidden in it and what they uncover through reading it yeah. um that's a really exciting feeling when you're published
0: that is very cool
1: yeah I I love it also when someone tells you something that you
0: didn't know um in your own book
1: in your own yeah book. in your own book. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that that, that you, when when they, as soon as they say it, you say, oh, that's true, but that wasn't anything that was conscious for you. I think that's yeah, a lovely. I mean, we were talking a little earlier, uh, before we called you about um, about an audience and having a reader and getting um, feedback from an editor or, or something, and that being part of the process. And I think reviews yeah. are another part
2: of that. Yes. Well, reviews. I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm uh, not. I try not to read my reviews. Yeah. I, I really do. Because I'm I'm just very sensitive to, you know, I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, 500 amazing reviews and one bad one. And the only thing I can think of is the person who hates the book. Um, yeah, yeah, And it, yeah. That's, it's really just not very helpful to, to be obsessed about that kind of thing because, you know, not everybody's going to love your books and that's totally okay. Um, but you're right that sometimes the 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 ones that where somebody really did resonate with the book, it just makes all the agonizing over you know whether you really are doing something meaningful and whether it's good and whether it's going to reach people, it makes all that really feel uh, worth it. Um, well, but I had a lot of readers, too, before the book was ever published. I mean, I had support from very uh, helpful writers, and my, my agent is amazing, and my editor is it's just incredible. Um, so I find that having a good reader who you trust and who knows what you're trying to achieve and kind of gets your your voice and and your uh, your goals is just un- unbelievably helpful.
1: Right, and that's what yeah, that's what we we're talking about. And actually, and that feedback is actually useful because you can still revise the book. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's the other thing with reviews. You're like, yes, done. Yeah. <laughs> it's finished yeah I'm sorry you didn't like it (laughs) yeah or oh thank oh I'm glad you liked it but what else can you say
0: (laughs) now when you were working on this book just a couple crafty questions do you did you know how it would end did you have it mapped out or do you write by the seat of your pants see how where it goes
2: well uh I, I wish I were a plotter. It, I think it would make my life much easier if I was uh, better at conceiving a plot before I write. But un- unfortunately, the way it works for me is it really comes alive from me while I'm writing. And so I often don't know where I'm headed exactly. Uh, I think with this book, er, pretty early on, I decided... Well, I don't want to give it away, <laughs> actually. Yeah, but I decided yeah. I, I wanted. I knew, for example, that ultimately I wanted it to be somewhat hopeful, um, and that guided some of my decisions about what happened in terms of plot, um, but I only really developed the various twists and turns when I was in the process of writing it, and the reason I say that's unfortunate is because what happens as a result is that you often go down the wrong path. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're uncovering something and you're exploring something and it isn't really the right uh, angle for the story. And you often don't know that until after you've done an, a huge amount of writing and you have to go back and sort of and be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, have, have a bit of distance from it and look at it again more in terms of the plot and how the reader is going to um, feel about what's happening in the book.
1: Right, and I, I mean those um, those little alleys I think that you go down um, can feel like a huge waste of time um, sometimes because you think oh wow yeah. I would have finished this book you know in a, you know in a year as opposed to five or ten years or whatever you said you had gone yeah. back to it a couple times but another way to look at it is you actually needed to go through that process that you needed to choose different yeah. adventures <laughs> yeah in order to find the right the right way. I also think the, the process of writing a rough draft is getting to know your characters. And, yeah. um, mm. and, I'll, and I'm in the process of um, uh, editing a, a, a first draft right now, and I'm finding, even though I don't necessarily go down those paths, I will say something with complete you know, certainty about the character that is no longer true from what I've written later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh, I need to take that out because I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I tried different things with them. Yeah, yeah. And then I completely well, forgot about it because it wasn't right or, you know. Something. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, for me, the first draft is pretty ag- agonizing. I don't know if you feel the same way, but, you know, the first draft, I feel I'm sort of blind and I'm just being led by these pretty vague ideas and I'm I'm finding my way in the semi darkness. Um, and then once once I have that shitty first draft down, <laughs> then I start to feel much more playful about it, you know. And and because I've I've already got something, it's, I'm not yeah. staring at a blank screen or blank page. Mm-hmm. And somehow that opens things up for me a little bit more at that stage. And I don't agonize over it quite as much. And I and I start to have a little more fun. Um, at that stage. And it's very circular for me. I mean, I go through, you know, not in a linear fashion. Um, you know, I'm, I'm moving around the different scenes of my, my books um, a lot, uh, not just sort of starting from the beginning and going all the way through to the end. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and in this case, in the case of this terrible beauty, you do um, shift between time periods. Yes. Did yes, you that's right. did you plan that at the outset or was that a product of coming back to the a draft and
2: Yeah, that that actually changed quite significantly. Um, initially when I first started writing the book, I was really interested in having um, my main character, Patina, she she was sort of exiled from East Germany, and she had to leave her homeland behind. And I was very interested in what that would feel like for her, and what it would be like to be an outsider. And so I had a whole part of my book, which was about her being in America with with her child, and sort of being an immigrant and and trying to deal with the losses that she had. Um, and that, of course, is that changed dramatically um, when I. Rewrote some of the book, and I and I changed the storyline. Um, in, in in, and she ends up having to leave her child behind in Germany, um, and start a life on her own in America. Um, and so, but I had always set that part in Chicago, um, but I had the storyline had unfolded differently in in earlier versions, and I think that's mostly about developing a better understanding of. Having your characters have something at stake, you know, having something really important and and, and powerful that they're yearning for, um, and I realized in in subsequent drafts of the book that her leave, having being forced to leave her child behind would really raise the stakes for the story and get get readers invested in whether or not uh, Bettina manages to. to to have her family back again, or does she really lose everything? Um, you know, that's just a, that's a more dramatic uh, story yeah. than the one that I originally um, conceived
1: of. Yeah. I also really liked um, sort of your, you your dipped, dipping into her as an artist and a photographer. Mm, I've yeah. had i um, I've had, in my mysteries, i had a series with a photographer as my sleuth. and oh, yeah. um and the best compliment I ever got was someone saying, "How long have you been a photographer?" <laughs> like, I have a film background, but I think it was just a really interesting way to look at things and to think about looking at
0: the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, and, and
1: also the, that
2: developed along with the idea that um, that she, what was her purpose in life? You know, as a as a woman born in a in a certain era, she was expected to, to be married and to have a family and the war comes and it, and it turns everything upside down and all the men are dead and gone and she ends up marrying somebody she doesn't really love and she has this interest in photography but doesn't. there's no expectation that she's going to be able to develop this into anything that's meaningful. And I wanted to play around with this idea that she, by losing so much, she also gained this ability to, to respect that part of her life, mm-hmm. you know, to, to focus on the art and the photography and to see that there was value in that. It didn't make up for what she lost, but it was an undiscovered part of herself um, that she does end up uh, really um, benefiting from in, in the long run. Yeah. And of course her art has no, there's no support from her in, in East Germany uh, there's no support from her husband. He just thinks it's a foolish kind of hobby, um, and and it's really her way of seeing and understanding the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the the camera, both um, you know, you have sort of the intimacy of the gaze and uh, you know capturing what's around you and, and really observing it, but it also gives sort of um, a little bit of protection. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. To to. Against the pain of something, or against you know, the su- other people suffering, you know, I, you know, you see the photojournalists it's sort of—it's like that sort of creates this distance for mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I thought it, I thought I thought it worked really really well. Um, Thank you. I
2: thought it was also kind of an interesting irony that that you know one in 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 one way her life is successful because she comes to America and she develops this career and she becomes celebrated and she she's able to connect and communicate through her art but she you know that kind of outward success doesn't mean anything unless you're also sort of inwardly happy and you know your 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 emotional needs are also being met and and those of course are not um, those are areas that in 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 her life where she is, um, alone and, and really struggling just in spite of her success.
1: Well, also the immigrant story, I think is, you know, you're touching on that coming yes. to another country and not knowing the language, um, you know, and, uh, and then also, you know, coming to the, basically the enemy, <laughs> enemy country, uh, where probably people weren't always very nice to her, that she had yeah. a German accent or a German name
0: or yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, and actually it was it's funny my father when he immigrated to the United States he immigrated to Chicago <laughs> oh, <it's definitely. laughs> so I was born there
2: where so. did he immigrate
1: from uh he was from Brighton England when he, left. Oh. When he oh, left yeah 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 but you know as I said he's got sort of the, the legacy the, the my, his my grandmother was half German and mm-hmm. the was, when, and actually, had grown up in India, of all places, until oh. she was about ten. But she had the story she had was that she they came back from India and they went to Germany. But her mother was English, and Queen Victoria died and made they made her wear um, a black armband to school in Germany
0: oh, really? for the
1: English oh. Queen. And oh. she said, the story that she told my mother because I only met her when I was uh, about one, and then she passed away when I was about six, was that she and her brothers and mm-hmm. hid the armbands under a rock on their way to school and then they would pick them up Uh on the way way home
0: home. oh really that's why they didn't
1: want to get teased wow i I do
2: identify with um you know the stories of outsiders um in that growing up in New York and then in London, you know, I wasn't, I only became an American citizen a couple of years ago. Wow. And I was always pretty different. You know, I had a in, a, in America, I had an American accent as a little girl, but then once I moved to England, I sounded very American, obviously. Um, and so I was watching people. I was trying to figure out mm-hmm. how, how did it work that these, these, you know, uh, teenagers, were engaging with each other in in a certain way and I always looked from the outside and I think that just made me very observant uh, about both sort of cultural elements um of the world we live in but also how people behave and why they behave certain ways and what's sort of underlying um what what you see on the surface yeah
1: yeah definitely you know I think it's a great um Great recipe for being a writer. Yeah. <laughs> the observing. The observing. Yeah. Um, but, well, you know, it would just been really lovely to talk to you. And um, we're super excited to, that this terrible beauty is coming out in March and other people get to enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> it's really fun to visit. And um, we hope you have a wonderful uh tour and then and we always give our shout out um hopefully next year you could possibly come to the virginia festival of the book (laughs) in our hometown Mm, (laughs) yes it's
0: a great well that's in march it's
1: in march it's march but um for next year because um i think it's it's a really wonderful um book festival and it's like I guess it's like Christmas for us because all of these writers <laughs> come to town. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's great. That yeah. sounds
2: really lovely. Well, I
1: w- I would be delighted to, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So okay. please well, apply let's and we can touch. send you a link. And, um, and, and um, yes, and good luck with everything. And thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us.
2: Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for being the first to interview me. Uh, about the book, it's it's great to launch into a conversation
0: about it. Great. Well, we it. are excited about it for you. Yeah. Thanks
2: so much. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Catherine. Bye. Right. Bye.
1: Well, that was really uh, great that you had a chance to meet her in Key West. And and tell me again the the um pro, the uh,
0: it's the Key West Literary Seminar. I don't know. Yeah. And did and you actually to apply for that? Then you do apply. Okay. Yep. And I worked with um, Luis Alberto Urrea um, in a class of about, I think, 11 of us. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, Katrin helps to coordinate all of that. It's a really big project. And actually, the Key West Literary Seminar, very cool. They just acquired the um, Elizabeth Bishop House, oh, which lovely. is going – and they're doing some um, – some renovating to really bring it back to the way it looked and felt when she lived there, and their offices are going to be in there.
1: Oh, is it one of the houses that she
0: lost? <laughs> it is one of the houses, yeah. I, I guess, right, in the, art, in the art of losing. Yeah, art of um, losing isn't
1: hard to master. <laughs> right, yes,
0: it might be, Um but... I guess I knew that from got her, a her autobiography, autobiography
1: uh, from her uh, biography, I think I knew that she had loved, she lived in Key
0: West. I yeah, we yeah, It's as it's such a cool place for... Its depth of the literary arts, actually, and drama—it's—it's a cool place. You know, just scratch a little below the surface, and you find a really rich culture and environment. So, anyway, it's so cool that Katrin Schumann lives there and has this launch of this terrible beauty there coming up. So, if any of our Listeners are out there in Key West. World, do stop by Shakti Yoga on February 29th. <laughs> there are not that many February 29ths That's there, right. right. So,
1: so you'll know if it's a, not the year. <laughs> right. But this is twenty twenty, by the way. <laughs> Make
0: the most of it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Thank you for that. A, I'm
1: sure you'll be able to find her book anywhere. Yes. Um, yes. So Published
0: uh, by Lake Union. Yeah. And
1: so, super, super fun to chat with her. Um,
0: Yeah, I love the picture of her, image of her making a hardcover book at the age of six. (laughs) (laughs) Binding, that's adorable. Yeah. I'd like to see those books. I hope she's kept them.
1: Oh, yeah. I hope so, too. It's, um... My mother definitely kept a lot of my early writings, oh, which was is always very funny to see. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great. But how we wanted to be in print pretty much from the get go. It's really funny. I
0: love it. <laughs> so, um, but meanwhile, you are off to Egypt, that's right. and I hope that your preparations are going smoothly. I know there are some extra.
1: Yes, and I and I just I just read something that said. Um, People always pack too many socks. So, oh, okay. So, well, so I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that I'm not packing too many socks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, okay, then. So any other words of wisdom for uh, packing, uh, <laughs> let me know. But I, I, do, I do manage to get it all into a carry-on size suitcase for 16 days, which is always wow exciting and uh, fun. At least um, it'll be
0: probably warm enough there not to yeah. have to pack. Big the trick to pack.
1: is to have something that you can wear for it's cold nights, uh, uh-huh. chillier uh-huh. nights, Pre-board. but also that you won't die from the airport to your car. Yes, there's that <laughs> <laughs> because I can come back; it could be really cold even in March.
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, there's a there's a cottage industry is renting parka wear at the airport. To help people get from...
1: Well, I once had a funny, funny, a long time ago, I was going to um, a book event in Alabama and it was threatening snow and I was supposed to leave the next day and the snow was supposed to start...
0: In Alabama? Or here? It it was supposed to start
1: here in Charlottesville, but no, I think the snow was supposed to start later in the day and I was supposed to be on a later flight and I moved my flight to sort of the 6.30 a.m. wheels up out of Charlottesville, which is a... It uh, goes to Charlotte, I think, and I felt quite trapped. But in the car, I threw snow boots and a shovel. Oh, so how I was smart of so, right, so I knew it was going to snow. It was going to snow a lot. Um, so I wheels up, six thirty a.m. The snow just starts. You know, uh, bye. And then I'm in Alabama all weekend. <laughs> it's delightful. But I hear back at home, they've gotten like two feet of snow. Or, ridic- I mean, some. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, because anything above six inches is Yes. six feet of snow Overwhelming here, Overwhelming right?
0: ballistic conditions. Yes.
1: Um, so I land, and I realize my snow boots are
0: in the car, which is not very useful, right? <laughs> Except for putting them on to shovel your car out right. once you're there. So
1: I, I get so out
0: stilettos. Right?
1: I know I, I didn't. I, I, if I owned stilettos, I'd be anywhere to wear <laughs> So I get. From the airport to the car cursing, because I don't have snow boots, but I wasn't going to put them in my suitcase for a warm No, no. And, um, but... They had shoveled out our cars.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Nice. That was really nice. Oh. The security went around and shoveled. And I guess they just didn't want they wanted to get rid of everybody. Of they were just like, Please
0: it makes leave. a lot of sense. Please get our <laughs> interest as <laughs> well. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, So, yeah. Um, But that is an interesting uh, idea. Lockers in the airports where you could put things inside the airport when you need to pick right up later. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that. Yeah, actually got yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, it my gosh. Okay,
0: we have digressed from writing. Yes, we
1: have. By far. By far. But, um, but yeah, good luck with everything in the next month. I, I will come back and we will probably have achieved almost nothing in I'll my month. Excited except for to hear your inspiration. Being relaxed and inspired, I
0: hope so. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like a very noble um, goal to relax and soak up what inspiration comes. But easy on the shoulds.
1: Yes, yes. So well. Wow. So we will talk in March.
0: Sounds great. This has been The Writer's Story. Thanks for joining us.